0: Um, So, yeah, so my name is Seth, and some of you know me from previous times, some of you know me from last night, some of you maybe have just met me today, and I'm from Andover, Massachusetts, originally and currently, and in the time in between, I was a Buddhist monk for eight years. I lived in Germany for most of that time in a monastery, Um, this is a Vietnamese Zen monastery, but I also... Was able to travel to other places during that time. I saw a lot of Europe, um, went to Tibet, India, uh, Nepal, with with the monks and nuns, with the sangha, and kind of did some traveling, and also had the chance to practice and meet a lot of great teachers. Um Thich Nhat Han was, we called him like our Dharma cousin, because you know same lineage, but just he wasn't our teacher. So we would sometimes go, so I lived, you know, for a couple of months at, in, Plum, in Plum Village at his monastery, and his monks came to us sometimes, and also I had a chance to practice with the Dalai Lama a few times, and a lot of great Tibetan teachers came, the Karmapa, Sakya Trinzin, so uh, Tenzin Palmo, this uh, English nun who lived in a cave for 12 years, and all these really great practitioners, including, you know, Achin Brahm, who was part of, like, the Thai forest tradition, and some... Pauksaida from the Burmese kind of forests. So we had this very well-rounded Buddhist education, I would call it. Um, So I felt very kind of lucky doing that. During those eight years, we also had a Chinese medicine center. So we did a lot of acupuncture, massage, herbs. Also really um, deepening the understanding of how the body and the mind are connected. And also when you get really deeply into it, you start to understand also how karma works How things are passed down generationally or from lifetimes, if you want to believe in that. And also just through the conditions of your life and our ability or inability to process things, how that also manifests in the body and how things that we don't really resolve emotionally or mentally find their expression sometimes on the physical. And that was a very, I would say, enriching kind of lesson to be a part of, to learn um, a lot of the time there it was really just running a monastery, so cooking, cleaning, bookkeeping events, uh, being a community leader, trying to grow a sangha, trying, you know, not to fight with other people, trying to stop other people from fighting with each other, you know, um, you know bringing in those people that are interested to learn meditation, teaching them what the practice is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there, there was many levels, I would say. Um, each one of us there had you know, I would say almost 10 jobs at once. You know, you'd be cleaning, you'd be cooking, then you'd be helping with the acupuncture, then you'd be managing a whole guest house, then you would be teaching meditation, then you would be resolving things within the community. So it's many, many, many levels kind of working at once. And our teacher really emphasized this, especially at the beginning of practice, to um, to not think that practice, it's about jumping into a meditation retreat. He said really that practice, it's about your daily life, that how you interact with the world, that's when you're going to come up against yourself. That's when you're going to see your mind. That's when you're going to see your habits. That's where you're going to get a lot reflected back to you. That if you're sitting out, you know, in a cave somewhere, it's really easy to sit there and, you know, may all beings be happy and feel totally great and light. And then you walk out of that cave and the first person you see, you know, they say something to you and you get mad at them. You know, I've been in a cave this whole time. You're, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, you know, and you start fighting. Um, so, you know, even in Buddhism, the monks, although they were, you know, recommended to go and practice in an abandoned house or in a forest at the foot of a tree or very secluded, isolated places, every day they would have to walk into town and collect food in their alms bowl. So they lived in dependence on the community. And because of that, they were also constantly, you know, being in contact with the community. So this was a really important lesson that I've learned through my practices as well. That we come to spaces like this. You know, we're in this space here because we want to get out of what I would say the daily life is we want to get out of that energy that constellation of things happening to take a moment to breathe you know that's why the word retreat right it's like if you're fighting a war and you're like retreat you pull back okay take a breath lick your wounds that's kind of like what this is that we pull back a little bit from daily life we come into this protected safe kind of quiet space and we have time to really drop back in with ourselves okay how am i doing yeah how do i feel where am i at what's going on And then it gives us a chance to also recalibrate and then kind of decide how we want to move forward and how we want to you know reintegrate or approach the world um if you want there's a spot right next to me it's it's the best spot of the room i promise (laughs) yeah so we come into a space like this to really be able to cut off from the world to really be able to go deeper Um, One of my teachers, Acham Brahm, he said, you know, in your daily life, you can keep the water warm, but on retreat, that's when you can really bring it to boil because you really have this time and this space to focus and to kind of go deeper and really see things. Um, I call these mini-retreats because that's kind of what it is. It's this little three-hour block of time just to be here in this space, in this world, in this energy. you know, wish would be to start leading longer retreats, but I see it's a kind of step-by-step process, and there's a lot of people that simply don't have the time and the energy to do longer retreats at the moment. So my goal is to kind of figure out how do I bridge these worlds together a little bit. Um, you know, coming out of a monastery for eight years, and and I did, you know, I did like a three-month silent retreat where I was doing like the Tibetan prostrations and things like this, and, you know, really took that time to to be in my own space kind of fully. Um, and there was those times where I just reached these places of immense clarity and immense uh, bliss, I would even say, and immense realization. And then sil- kind of simultaneously what arose was this wish to be able to share that with people. You know, it's almost like you watch a good movie and you're like, man, I, need- I want other people to see this. You know, or you eat a good meal. Wow, that restaurant was awesome. I have to tell my friends to go there, you know. But this is something immensely you know exponentially greater than that when your entire reality shifts or shatters or readjusts and you experience these these immense levels of clarity or peace or understanding that you're just crying or laughing from happiness on the out of your soul almost that feeling this is so deep and you look around at everyone else and you're like i can't believe nobody else knows what this is or has experienced this if not you look around and you see the opposite You see people walking around feeling heavy, feeling sunken, feeling dejected and depressed and lost and alone and confused. Um, And so even the Buddha on the kind of eve of his enlightenment, he said this truth. This is so subtle. This is so almost counterintuitive, opposite from what everybody else is thinking and doing. It's probably not even worth it to teach. I don't think anybody can really understand this. But as the legend goes, actually, you know, Brahma, who's kind of one of the Hindu figures, he came down and he said, please, Buddha, you have to teach, teach. There's people that will see. And Buddha kind of scanned the world with his eye and he saw, okay, there are some, they said, with, with little dust on their eyes, is how he described it, yeah, that there are some people who can get this. And he said, okay, I'll try. And, you know, later on in his, you know, teaching career, if you will, um, I've, you know, read a lot of, kind of the Buddhists collection, so to say. Um, one of the things he advised his monks is he said, you know, what we do, it's kind of like what doctors do. He said, there's a lot of people out there and they're sick. Some of them are going to die from their sickness no matter what you do. Yeah, and I think we all know people like that. Usually they're family members. Yeah, those are always the hardest ones, yeah. usually, yeah. but. These days it's also people on Facebook, same kind of feeling. <laughs> Just people, intractable minds, yeah. The second kinds of people, they're getting better will depend on our effort, yeah? So if we do nothing, nothing happens to them. If we try, if we put effort, if we give the teachings, if we share, that will benefit these people and they will get better. Then the third group of people, they're going to get better no matter what happens. Whether or not you teach them, they're still going to get better. And yet, I say, teach them all anyway. And this so kind of shows how his mind shifted from the beginning, where he's like, it's not even worth it, no one will understand, to teach everybody. Just give it out, scatter the seeds. Some of them will take, some of them won't. Do your best, that's not your concern. Just give, put it out there, see what happens. Um, There's a story that's not exactly related to this, but I've been wanting to tell it in a group for a while, so here it is. Um, I was speaking with my aunt, and she lives in Florida, and she took a trip to Iceland. And she flew on Southwest Airlines, I believe, and it's kind of like uh, the seating. There's no actual uh, seat number, so it's kind of like first come, first serve. But the people who are, you know, they need assistance or disabled, they go on first right so it's like disabled people with children this so when they call that probably 60 percent of the people coming from florida you know kind of hobble over and they need wheelchairs and all this and they get on the flight and it's kind of a big thing and so when my aunt finally got on the flight she's like yeah, almost you know 60 70 percent of the seats are already taken and then they kind of find some seats like in the back and then when the flight landed in iceland everybody just stood up and walked out. And there's all the, you know, stewardess is waiting with the wheelchairs at the gate and nobody's in them. And the steward and my aunt said to the stewardess, what's this about? And she's like, yeah, they call it the miracle flight. yeah, Yeah? Because he said every time this happens, just people, you know. (laughs) You know, and that's just kind of how it is, right? That's how people are, so. I just feel like I had to throw that one in somewhere. (laughs) So something really important for us to look at. And I spoke last night um, during the healing about starting to reclaim our power, starting to take back our responsibility for ourselves. For those of you that were at the healing last night, kind of went a little more in depth into that. But how we really need to start owning our own experience. Um, That oftentimes we project our emotions in the world around us, in the people around us. Yeah, people are our mirrors. Yeah, every connection that you have with somebody, you're arising your own mind in that connection. That if you see somebody and, oh, I like them, or oh, they're friendly, or like, oh, like I feel kind of uncomfortable, or oh, something feels weird, we often then say it's that person, right? That's a good person, that's a bad person, that's a nice person, that's a not nice person. But if we really look deeply, it's really us saying that with this person, I feel comfortable or safe or seen or understood. Or with this person, I feel uncomfortable. I feel challenged. I feel unsure of myself. Um, I feel intimidated. And we often start from the place of putting that on the thing outside of us but not really taking that step back inside and saying, what is that feeling coming from? Why do I like or not like this thing? What is it about? I was an artist in my past life. Um, I went to art school. And the the teacher said, you know, we did the the critiques in college. Um, We did these critiques where everyone does their work and puts it up on the walls. And the teacher said, um, you know, you have to talk about the pieces one by one and you know inevitably there's always someone that's like oh I really like that one and our teacher would always kind of reprimand people that said that and he's like I don't care what you like tell me about the piece if you say you like it what is it about this piece that you like what is going on there that you like yeah just to say I like it is not it's nothing there's nothing to work with it's fluff and it means you don't even understand yourself And it's kind of that same process, but reversed, right? That we often say that, yeah, we like stuff, but we don't look inside about why, what does it make me feel, what is my resonance with it, what's going on? Um, So really starting just to kind of turn our minds back inwards, to come back into ourself to see what's going on, to be in touch with our feelings and our emotions. And meditation, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing tool for that. Um, in a couple ways. So the first way is simply that when you start coming back into yourself, when you start coming into a space like this, it's kind of like you're consciously separating yourself from the world, right? Our lives are out there and we come into the secluded space. When we actually meditate, we're gonna close our eyes, close our bodies, and then we seclude ourselves one step further. Then we leave this kind of social space, this room, and we seclude ourselves into our internal world, yeah? So the step from moving from you know, being in the world, seclusion into this room, from this room, seclusion into yourself, from yourself, taking then even a deeper step where you don't notice your body anymore, then you won't even notice your thoughts anymore. So the mind moving from grosser to subtler levels, right? And that's actually the process of meditation. It's, secluding yourself farther and farther and farther. As you start coming farther in, you will start noticing there's things that are blocking you from getting deeper. Some of those things you'll probably notice at the very, very beginning. Well, actually, at the very, very, very beginning, you'll notice that there's not a million people in this room. You know, there's about ten of us. So already, there was probably... 40 people that saw this event today that wanted to come that liked it but had some block to even coming to this So you guys have already passed like the first test you've you passed the first Barrier seriously that now you're in this room to practice not many people woke up and said I'm gonna take my Saturday to do this practice Yes, yeah, so you passed that first barrier Then the next barrier is when we close our eyes to meditate and what's gonna happen then is a lot of stuff is gonna start coming very basically for a lot of people just the body the body will maybe be painful the body will maybe be restless the body will be maybe tired yeah that just on the very basic level the body will not be behaving it doesn't do what you want it to do if your body feels fine and then you sit you feel relaxed then you're gonna take one step in and it's gonna be your mind that you're gonna have this mind and this mind is gonna be throwing up memories thoughts plans things you need to do later. Can you shut that door, by the way, while you're there? Great. Um, everything possible It's going to be throwing up in your face, just all this stuff. Yeah? It's, uh, it's like TV, right? You'll be watching your, your inner TV, but you can't control the program, unfortunately. So it'll just be kind of throwing things up in your face, and you just are there with that. <clears throat> That's a whole teaching that I can also get into what to do about that, that level, I guess we could say. Once you start to get more peaceful and that starts to fade away, then you get a little bit deeper, then there's kind of, there's emotions that start to come up. Some people, when they drop in, they start to feel maybe like a deep sadness, a deep feeling of being overwhelmed, a deep restlessness, kind of they get into the, almost like when you get past the ripples on the surface, you get to the deeper movements. Yeah, these feelings, things come up and those feelings also invariably have memories attached to them, right? Because that's how we build our stories. Yeah, so we have these feelings and then we we connect those feelings to all these different events in our lives that happen that then give us a belief that says things are this way, I am this way. What happens when we get a little bit deeper than that is that we also start to get in touch with, I would say, I I call it perceptual structures. I don't know why else I, I say that, but it's kind of like when I was meditating at the monastery, I, you know, every morning we meditated for an hour in the morning, half an hour at night. If we were on retreat, it would be like 10 hours a day or something. Um, but just the normal day was like an hour in the morning, half hour at night. And I would be sitting and the Buddha had said, you know, follow your breath. And the teacher would say, follow your breath, feel your breathing. Okay, so I'd sit there, be breathing, breathing, breathing every morning. Breathing, you know, relaxing, breathing. Kind of falling asleep, just kind of bored. Don't really know what's going on. Breathing, breathing for years and my practice didn't get better but I just thought you know I guess it's because I'm not good at it right I should just keep trying try harder or something right it's not working so I keep trying trying and then again this one teacher Achim Brahm he came to lead a retreat at our monastery and I you know talked to him about this he's a a world-renowned expert in meditation he's amazing and um, he said well why don't you try just sitting there and not trying to meditate? And I said, well, because I feel like I'm doing nothing all day long and that's not helping me, so why would doing nothing with my eyes closed be any better? You know, if, if doing nothing works, then why isn't everybody okay? And he was just kind of like, ah, okay, try it, you know? So I sat down and I was like, okay, I'll try to follow Achim Brahm's advice. So I sat down and I said, I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to my, relax my body and just sit here. And I just relaxed. And then after a couple seconds, my mind said, OK, but you still should you know, follow your breath. And I thought, OK. And I said, wait, wait. He said, do nothing. So I said, OK, no, I'm not going to do it. And then my mind said, but you know it's not going to work. And I said, OK, but I'm going to try it. And my mind said, but it's not going to work. And I said, "Okay, I'm going to try it. I'm just going to relax. And then after like a couple minutes, the mind said, but you know, you you need to focus a little bit or something. And I said, no, I'm going to try just to not do anything this time. I'm just going to try to relax and sit here. And then after like a couple more minutes, the mind's like, look, it's not working. You need to try something. And I started realizing that, you know how like in old cartoons i remember there was like the devil and the angel sitting on the shoulders right we have voices inside of us that sometimes we are that voice sometimes we speak with that voice like we embody that we're angry at somebody and we yell at them like we that voice comes out of our own mouth right but then there's sometimes that that voice comes into your head but it's your own you you're thinking that voice is thinking in the voice of your own thoughts Right? You'll be sitting here and you'll be like, what is this Seth guy talking about? This is nonsense. This doesn't work. I know. He doesn't know me. I know. You know? There'll be this voice that's clothed as your thoughts and you're just sitting there like, uh-huh. And you're just nodding along with it, agreeing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is crap. This doesn't work. Right. Yeah. And then if you can kind of pull yourself back from that, you can watch that voice kind of running and you can say, oh, that's doubt. Or you could say, oh, I'm a control freak. I'm actually afraid to to let go. Or I don't have any faith. I don't trust anything. I don't trust that if I just relax, everything will be okay. I have a really deep perception that everything's not okay and I have to do something. And I started seeing these really deep perceptions. And when those came up, I was like, that makes total sense. My mother would always relate to me as if something's wrong. If everything was okay, there'd be no connection. But if something was wrong, it would be, oh, what's wrong? Are you okay? What's wrong? What's wrong? Do you need something? What's wrong? You know, very Jewish mother energy, you know. But I started realizing that I didn't have anything wrong. And I don't need to have something to be wrong to have connection or to feel care or love. But my mother's way of connecting to me was very much through this feeling of something's wrong, which as time progressed and I became older and could talk to her, I learned about her past and her relationship with my father and maybe her own feelings of guilt and things that, she, that something was wrong for her in her relationship. But instead of being able to address that, she put it on me, that something's wrong with me. She knows something's wrong, so I must not be okay. So I grew up my whole life thinking that something's wrong with me, somehow. And so when I sit down to meditate and I want to relax, there's this really deep feeling, perception that something's wrong, which creates this voice that says you have to do something to get better. You have to do something if you want a result, which I think also school trains us, society trains us with that too, right? The more you work, this work ethic, you have to push, you have to try, strive, then you'll get the result. And it was kind of this perfect storm that resulted in me not ever being able to really let go and relax. That I was always trying to do, thinking if I just did better, if I did right, then I would get the thing that I want. And it was all based in the structure of doing. And what Brahm is a meditation master, and he has a book called Mindfulness, Bliss and Beyond. It's, it's like really great. It's almost like a meditation handbook. And you know, I bought it and I had him sign it. And I was like, you know, one day I'm going to read this. And I opened it up. And the very first sentence in that book, it says, Meditation is the way of letting go. And I closed the book and I dropped it. And I just dropped into this deep meditation. I tried to read that book about six times. And I only got to that first sentence. I would always just open up the book and read, Meditation is the way of letting go. And I just closed the book, and I was like, there's nothing. Else. And I just would drop into these deep states of meditation. I've still never finished the book. Because i get to the, just the very first sentence in the book, and that's everything I needed to hear. For my particular sickness, for my particular psychosis, you each got your own. Yeah, I'm sure we share in some ways. Yeah, For my particular sickness, that was the cure. To Just to know, letting go. Just let go. Everything's fine. Relax. If you want to be relaxed relax if you want to be peaceful be peaceful if your muscles are tense and you want to be relaxed then just relax your muscles you don't have to like go and do this whole thing just relax and it's amazing cuz it's so simple but it's such an invisible world yeah I once heard some some analogy about like a hornet in a glass jar. Um, I don't know what they were talking about, but what that means to me is that we're trapped within these walls that are invisible to us. The walls of our own beliefs, the walls of our own perceptions. What we think we are, what we think reality is, what we think progress means. And yet, we keep coming up short. We keep coming up with the same shitty results that we don't want. But we don't do anything differently because we don't understand how that works or because we believe those voices. I had a man call me like last year and he found me online. He wanted to get a a Siddha healing for me. So I do these healings also one-on-one with people. And he said, but there's like a problem. And I said, oh, you know, what's the problem? And he said, well, I don't really believe in this stuff. And I said, well, the good thing about these are is that you don't have to believe you just relax and you get it and it happens and then he kind of said yeah well and he kind of went on to argue with me about why he doesn't believe in them and why they're probably not real and I said what do you want from this healing exactly and he said well I'm very unhappy I feel depressed Um, I feel lost I can't control my minds and And I'm like, so overall in your life, how are you doing? He's like, not very good. And I said, well, what's the cause of that? And he's like, I think my own mindset. And I said to him, so let me get this straight. Your life's a mess. You've realized it's because of your way of thinking. And yet now you're fighting me with that very same way of thinking about why this isn't going to help you. Do you see what I'm saying? That the same mind that you recognize as the problem is the same mind that you are putting your faith in to save you. You can't be the patient and the therapist at the same time because then your sickness is at the wheel. It doesn't work. And I actually ended up not getting a healing. We didn't do it. He backed out, we never had healing. Because his own mind that he saw is his problem He still believed it. He invested still so much in his own mind that he allowed it to tell him what's not going to work. And that's what we're up against, all of us. Yeah, and you can call that the ego if you want. You can call that ignorance if you want. There's many names. Um, I think in Christianity, that is actually what Satan is. That is what the devil is, is that voice that pretends that it's you that completely blinds you from just being present and being peaceful and being connected if you want to get into maybe the metaphors of the whole stories so each one of us has that voice that says I am you and I know what's best and is built on this whole structure and has all this good evidence why it's right yeah we love being right but it's not happy and it's not really working and yet simultaneously it refuses to change so that's kind of like, yeah, that's where we are right now, I would say, mm-hmm. on different levels. And we have a lot of those voices, Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, once you've shut one up, there's like about 20 more that come in <laughs> So when I started getting past those deep structures and realizing that I should just relax, that I should just stop, if I want the mind to stop, then I need to stop stop trying to meditate stop wanting to meditate stop wanting peace just be peaceful relax if the mind is thinking then let it think why are thoughts our enemy let my mind think let myself feel restless let myself feel overwhelmed lost hello feelings of loss and overwhelmed welcome come hang out i'm gonna make peace with everything that comes up in my mind i want peace So I'm going to make peace with whatever comes. I'm going to be peaceful. I'm not going to try to control and micromanage and force and destroy things I don't like. I'm going to make peace with everything that comes into my perception. And then the mind, believe it or not, then starts to become peaceful, starts to become soft, starts to become open and pliant, and it starts to just be okay, just being present. Yeah. And all the big stuff comes up, you know, the the abuses that we've had in our life start coming up. The things that aren't right, the worries about our future, the things that all, everything, you know, it'll throw everything at you. Again, in the night of the Buddha's enlightenment, they said like an army came, you know, and this army came and they all shot their arrows and threw their spears at the Buddha. And he just kind of smiled and, and just watched and, you know, made peace with that situation. And then all these arrows and spears, they turned into flowers and kind of rained down upon him. You know, and it says even that this it wasn't a real army it was it's kind of like this is what happens is that the mind will throw everything it's got at you, and if you believe it, if you give your power over to it, it'll destroy you. If you treat yourself, your own mind, and you say to it, You have no power over me, you cannot hurt me your own mind if you say to your mind when it comes up. You have no power over me. There's nothing you can do. Whether you yell at me, whether you tell me I'm bad or I'm not good enough or I'm a hopeless mess, whether you tell me I'm great and I'm the best, whatever you tell me, I don't care. You can say anything you want. You're not interesting to me. And then the mind actually starts to shut up. It starts to shut up. It starts to just take a back seat. The next part, which is a place that not many people get to once you break through that stuff. You know, like on computers, there's hardware and software. So for those of you that aren't computer literate, so to say, um, the hardware of the computer, that's like the stuff that's built into it, like the memory, the RAM, like the speed of it, that stuff that's kind of the structure, the technical structure of the computer is the hardware. And then the software are the programs that you put on it. The programs, the the apps, yeah, that's the software, the programs. So when we start the meditation process, we'll sit here, we'll close our eyes, and we'll notice that there's all these programs floating around, yeah? And it's like when you turn on your phone, right, you have all these programs, you have to like swipe them away, swipe them away, okay, close all the programs. That's what kind of happens at first. You'll sit to meditate, and all these programs will be flying around in your head. And you have to kind of start swiping them away. You know, what am I gonna do when I leave here? Not now, you know. Shopping us, not now. That weird lump that I found in my shoulder, not now. You know, what's, what? Am not now. Whatever comes up, swiping it away, doesn't matter. Not fighting it, not pushing it away, just saying like, not interested, not interested. Closing it down, not interested, not interested. And then it brings the mind kind of to the state where it feels more or less relaxed, present, right? The iPhone cleared of all the apps, it's just there. It's the operating screen. But what starts to happen is that you start to go deeper. And this is like the most magical experiences I've ever had in my life. The ones that like I would give anything to be able to share this with somebody else, but I know that you can only get there yourself. Is that a transition starts to happen where you start to get into the hardware that there's the shift that suddenly the mind starts to turn in on itself that you don't feel the body anymore the thoughts drop away you don't know that you're sitting in this room anymore there's this feeling of bliss that you start to kind of connect to this feeling of peace and relaxation that you start to kind of connect to then the feeling of self starts to disappear the feeling of me and my breath, me and this good feeling, me and this body, me in this room, that starts to disappear and it just becomes this awareness that the whole sense of duality, me and other, disappears. And then there's just this peace and space and awareness. And everything that you've ever known your whole life is from then on different. Um, again, this teacher, Acham Brahm, when he was at our monastery, he told the story about a uh, tadpole and this tadpole, and it, our monastery is in Germany, so he's like, what's the German word for tadpole? And It's like, Kohlquapper, I believe. <laughs> so he's like, so this Kohlquapper was swimming, right? And then this frog met it in, in the pond and the tadpole was like, oh, you're a, you're a frog, you know, I'm going to be a frog one day. And the frog's like, yeah, great. Keep at it. And you know, you're going to really love dry land. And the tadpole looks at the frog and it says, dry land? What's dry land? And the frog said, oh, well, you know, it's that thing that you get to when you get out of water. And the tadpole looks at him and he goes, what's water? and that's exactly the state that we find ourselves in that we've lived our entire lives with the experience of duality with the experience with self and other self and thought self and feeling self and body we don't realize that we're in something that we are in an illusion Because that's just the normal operating state of our mind. We don't realize that that's not the truth of how things are. But it's all we've ever known, so we don't even notice it. It's invisible to us. And when you drop into this meditation, right? Again, you've taken the first step already. You've left your life outside, and now you're in this space. So you've already made one step that said, Oh, that life that consumes me, That's actually not me. Look, it's not here. Where's that life right now? Where's the job? Where's the kids? Where's all that stuff? It's not here right now. It's somewhere else. Oh, interesting. All that stuff I put down. Right? Then you're going to sit here, close your eyes, suddenly like, oh, I can even put down all this sensory information from looking, hearing, saying, I can put down my senses. Oh, interesting. Yeah? Then you'll be able to put down your thoughts. Yeah? Then everything that you think is you starts getting put down until there's nothing left and then you make an experience an experience of what's really going on yeah then you make an experience of dry land and then you say oh that's dry land and then you look back and you go oh that's water yeah you make this deep experience of a unified expansive aware mind and you say oh that's what's going on There's just this awareness, this being, human being. That's the being, the beingness. And then the human, it's like the flashlight, you know, the light that's shining on all this stuff, this body, these thoughts, this story, these beliefs, that's the human stuff. We are so deeply identified and invested with the human that we are completely blind to the being completely blind and as time goes on societally speaking even more so getting removed from that place of beingness so I would say that to say it in as layman terms as possible this whole practice it's about moving from the human to the being that shift into beingness as simple and as maddeningly difficult as that yeah? Dropping into that state of being. And that process is paved with making peace with things. Not investing so much. Not believing everything you think. Yeah? Not feeling like there's all this stuff you have to do. Not making your experiences um, so important, so serious. Not taking yourself so seriously. Yeah, we take ourselves so seriously. Yeah, to the point that we try to like convince everyone around us like how serious we are, how much suffering I'm in, how bad this has been for me, or how great I am, or how amazing this is, that we, and if they don't listen to us, we, we yell at them and we fight with people to convince them, let them know. I'm so, this is serious. Yeah? We take ourselves so, so, so seriously. Yeah, and we, we don't realize. We just don't, re- we don't see it. We don't understand that it's just a big story. We are, we are actors on the stage of this life, but, but we're in a role. And just like an actor at the end of the day can put that role down and retire, um, we need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to put our role down, put this character, Seth. Take Seth and say, okay, Seth, you're going to put you down for a little bit I'm going to rest and anytime any Seth thing comes up I'm like no that's a Seth thing I'm just resting I'll deal with Seth stuff when it's time to be Seth again now it's just time to be yeah so that's kind of like I guess the best way I can explain kind of paint the picture of what's going on here and so for our meditation class today this mini retreat Um, I'll be using the tools of sitting and walking meditation so we um, will be sitting we'll do a sit together and then we'll do a walking meditation and I'll guide this whole process you'll know what's going on we'll do another short sit Um, we'll take a break for people to feed the meters and to use the bathroom things like this we'll come back in maybe we'll do a question question and answer if anyone has any questions and then we'll do a final sitting meditation something like that okay um, so with that I think we'll get into it we'll start the first sit unless anybody needs the bathroom already in which case you can just quickly go down and just come back up um, but otherwise we'll just kind of start it off and you know I've, I've given now a pretty big download about what's going on in a more practical um, explanation, we're going to be sitting with our bodies in a way that feels stable and relaxed at the same time. So there's really no uh, right or wrong way to sit, but there's a right or wrong way to sit for you. So, really, for yourself, try to figure out what feels the most stable and relaxed. And also, just acknowledge that we have these human bodies that have aches, that have pains, that are sore, that it's not always possible to get something called like a pain-free seated position. And so to not hurt yourself or push yourself, but also to figure out how much that I should just accept and just make peace with, right? Something that does help, however, is um, cushions, blankets, sitting up higher. So I can show you that, you know, if I was sitting on the ground, um, kind of you see like it rounds my back. I kind of hunch over. Whereas when I can put a little bit of height in there, then suddenly it opens up my hips. My back is a little bit straighter. If I actually even put like a blanket on top of that and sat up, it would even straighten me out. So height is actually a big thing. So that's something that I could suggest for people is to really kind of stack yourself up a little bit. Um, It's really, you know, the best thing that I've learned in my time. I think that's the heater turning on. Yeah, I was going to say I could probably turn it off now. (laughs)